Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Well, good evening and welcome to the RSA. It is so good to see you all here in the great room tonight and to know we're also being joined by many people who'll be watching online as well on this extra special occasion, Designing Our Futures, the 2022 RSA Student Design Awards Ceremony. My name is Andrea Siodmok. I'm the new Chief Impact Officer here at the RSA, and I'm delighted to be your host for this evening. We have lots in store for you, including, of course, the awards themselves, and our keynote, delivered by the brilliant Alice Rawlsthorne. But before then, I'd like to begin by saying a few brief words about the Student Design Awards and why they mean so much to me and why, in many ways, that's why I wanted to do this job at this time at the RSA. I've been passionate about design as long as I can remember. I vividly recall being maybe two or three years old in the early 1970s and watching my father paint the gutters on our house. And he was painting them in brown and orange. <laughs> and I remember one of my very first memories thinking, those colours don't work. <laughs> and then fast forward <laughs> through studying industrial design in Newcastle when I first became aware of the Student Design Awards, maybe 30 years ago. As a student, we would gather around because we knew the Student Design Awards were coming. And we were told by the tutors, you had to pick. You know, we couldn't have everyone doing one brief, you had to choose. And so they would be put up on the wall. And we would rush in. This was before the internet, so we couldn't do it online, <laughs> obviously. So they're all on the wall. And we'd rush in because we wanted to get the coveted sponsor. We wanted to work on the project that meant the most to us and there was so much to choose from and it was amazing to see those briefs so exciting for me i know this is not seasonal for me this moment is like christmas <laughs> it's like unwrapping the most exciting gifts and i think tonight i hope we will all see that unwrapping moment of seeing remarkable work by remarkable students and then over the next 25 years first as a design tutor, as a sponsor, as a judge, and as a chair of judges. I've seen this process in action, and I can testify to the quality of work of hundreds and hundreds of hours of dedication, of craft, of skill, and of design. And I've seen these awards go from strength to strength, to what we see today. They have changed remarkably over that time to awards that are really about social purpose and, as you would hope in an organisation like this, world-changing ideas. At the RSA, we explore the big challenges facing the world today and we support innovative ideas and solutions to address them. The problems we face are more complex than ever before from health crises, economic insecurity, to climate change and energy security. We need help 
we need creative new ways of thinking and of tackling some of these big issues. And last night, I had the pleasure of watching former Prime Minister John Major and Julia Gillard, former Prime Minister of Australia, speak about the importance of new ideas. And I was really struck that in that forum, such an auspicious forum, they recognise the value of the kinds of thinking that have gone on in the room today and beyond in our design and creative industries. So, at the RSA, we see this as a huge opportunity and indeed our responsibility for design in moving towards a better future for both people and, of course, for the planet. And as you will know, and some of you watching online will testify, the RSA Design Awards is a global competition, open to higher education students and recent graduates, focused around a set of project briefs that challenge participants to apply their critical design thinking skills and creativity to real-world social, environmental and economic issues. For example, how might we design ways to reduce health inequalities, improve hybrid working, and let me say that needs some work, make better use of transport hubs for the benefit of local communities? These are just some of the challenges posed by the design briefs in this year's RSA Student Design Awards. And as many of you will know, the RSA is an independent charity and all of these briefs have been developed in collaboration with a diverse mix of partners. The entire programme is made possible only by the support of these organisations who share our belief that good design can have a wider and more impactful role in the world. So we're very proud to be working with all of them and have so many representatives from these organisations here tonight in the Great Room and online. I'd like to say, on behalf of the RSA, a massive thank you to you all. I'd also like to extend huge thanks to the judges, friends, colleges, universities and individual educators who have championed this year's competition. This is the 98th year of the RSA Student Design Awards. I've only seen 30 of them, and that felt like a lifetime. I couldn't believe it when I discovered it is the 98th year. Quite a remarkable feat. And there's an amazing legacy of thousands of people, thousands of ideas that have emerged from this competition. People have sat in the very seats that you're sitting in, who have gone on to change the world and to have massive impact more broadly. We wanted to include a personal SDA impact story as part of this evening's celebrations. And so I'm delighted to introduce interaction designer, Liana O'Cleary, an SDA alumni network member and 2021 award winner, who has sent us this special message from Tokyo. Good evening, everyone, and congratulations on your awards. I feel so privileged to be invited to talk to you all Last year, I was sat at home on a Zoom call for these awards, and I guess in that respect, not much has changed. But aside from the fact that I'm on a Zoom call again, uh, a lot has happened for me as a designer since winning an RSA Student Design Award last year. It's so fantastic that you can now finally all celebrate together 
in the RSA house. Uh, you can shake hands and you can serendipitously meet people. I'm sure you're thrilled to be there. And no doubt some of you may even be feeling a tinge of imposter syndrome as maybe you've never won anything before. So please understand that you absolutely deserve this. So don't shy away from sharing it with everyone. I wanna tell you a little bit about my journey. I embarked on my interaction design degree at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin with no clue what might happen once I was finished. In fact, I wasn't even 100% certain what an interaction designer even really did. I'm sure you're all familiar with the daunting feeling when you receive the RSA briefs, and no doubt you may have asked yourselves, how on earth am I gonna tackle this? My brief was for the long time. It asked, how might we encourage people and communities to think and act for the long-term? My project partner, Renata Dima and I aligned closely on our work ethic and our interests and our worldviews which I think played a large role in our project's success. Our project, Granted, is a digital tool to help migrant community organizations grow by guiding them through complex bureaucratic processes like funding and capacity building and eventual handover. So the Student Design Awards pressed us to dive headfirst into complex, wicked problems that have tendrils in other problems it taught us not to grab at the easiest oversimplistic fix, uh, not to strive for the simplest, nice, neat design outcome, but instead undertake the difficult task of addressing underlying systemic issues. It taught us to consider potential unintended side effects of our designs. It made me plant a flag and say, this is what I believe in. This is what I'm designing for. And when you say that out loud once, it makes it easier to say it out loud again. I could then carry this new voice into my next projects. I'm now pursuing my master's degree in Global Innovation Design, or GID, at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College London, which allows me to dive deeper into technology, but also develop a global perspective on design. It's also allowed me to study at the Keio Graduate School of Media Design here in Tokyo, which is why I can't be there in person. I can draw a line back to the day we received the SDA briefs and say, that's when I began to understand who I was as a designer. Winning an SDA is absolutely a feather in your cap and signals to the world that you are a capable designer who is not afraid to address difficult problems. The biggest prize, however, isn't the award itself, which is great, but the fellowship that goes along with it. Through the fellowship, I've had the opportunity to meet so many interesting and incredibly accomplished people in fields entirely unrelated to design, primarily through the RSA's Good Work Guild, which I'm involved in. The RSA is massive, and there are pockets of communities examining just about every major societal issue, and these communities are filled with highly accomplished people that you can learn from, um, people from all over the globe with diverse perspectives. Um, I've been engaging with other RSA fellows who are light years smarter than me, and it has nourished me wholly as a designer. But the chances are that you have something they don't. You're a designer, so you can help transform their expert knowledge into action. So I absolutely encourage you to really jump in. Don't wait to be asked. You've already proven that you're curious and thorough and creative individuals, and you'll apply that to everything you work on going forward. You know, I have, a, you now, excuse me, you now have a fellowship of experts in different fields that you can connect with and learn from, so use it. 
anyway, congratulations again, everyone. Um, thank you so much and uh, have a great time today. Thank you to Liana. So wonderful to hear from you and to get a glimpse of where your journey is taking you next in design. And I hope tonight many of the winners will remain active members of the Student Design Awards Alumni Network. It's a community that spans many generations, disciplines and sectors across the globe, all united by the belief in the power of design and acting as an agent for positive change. That's a belief that's long been championed by this evening's distinguished keynote speaker, Alice Rawlsthorne. Alice is an award-winning design critic and author. Her weekly design column for the New York Times was syndicated worldwide for over a decade, and her acclaimed and influential books include Design as an Attitude, Hello World, and most recently, Design Emergency. In all her work, Alice champions design's potential as a social, political, and ecological tool. Alice is also co-founder with MoMA design curator Paola Antonelli of Design Emergency, a research platform that investigates design's role in forging a fairer future. Design Emergency started life in 2020 in the early anxious days of the emerging COVID-19 pandemic. And as a series of Instagram live interviews featuring designers around the world who were responding to the crisis with empathy, resourcefulness, and a renewed sense of public-spirited mission and purpose. The platform now serves to interrogate a wide range of interconnected global systemic challenges, from climate emergency to refugee crisis, to spotlight ground-up, locally-rooted design-led responses and to celebrate the pragmatic imagination and versatility of design and its vital importance in helping us build a better future. I'm sure you'll agree we couldn't have a more fitting speaker to deliver our keynote address this evening. Please join me in welcoming Alice Rothel. Thank you, Andrea. Incredibly kind. And um, thank you to everyone at the RSA for inviting me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and to talk to you all about as, such an inspiring and important event as this. And, of course, to have the chance to learn more about the winner's work and to congratulate them on their achievements. Now, the quality and diversity of the winning projects and the other entries tells us a great deal about the determination of today's design students and soon-to-be design graduates to make the most of the opportunities that are open to them at a time when, after decades of being stereotyped as a styling or promotional tool in the industrial age, design is increasingly recognised as a powerful force in other areas of our lives, as Andrea explained. In other words, there couldn't be a better time than to be embarking on a design career. The designer's role is more fluid and expansive than ever before, as are the practice and possibilities of design. And design is 
increasingly seen as the source of positive and meaningful change. Now, all of my work has been committed to encouraging people to have a more eclectic and enlightened understanding of design by looking beyond the cliches. And to understand that by deploying it as a powerful tool, we can address urgent social, political, economic, and ecological problems. So it's wonderful to have student design awards that encourage students and graduates to focus on this right from the start. But it's still a tough challenge because design is, of course, a complex and elusive phenomenon. It's adopted many different meanings at different times and in different contexts, leaving it prone to muddles, misunderstandings and cliches. Yet in all of its many guises, I believe it's had one elemental role, and that's as this. It's as an agent of change that can interpret changes of any type to enable us to make sense of them, of what's happening, and to turn it to our advantage. In other words, to ensure that change affects us positively rather than negatively. And I've championed this vision of design as a journalist for the New York Times and as the author of the books that Andrea mentioned. But for the past seven years, I've also done so on Instagram. First on my own feed, where I choose a theme every week, housing, water, gender, surveillance, the color blue, whatever and post every day about a different design response to it. And my aim is that by doing so, I'll illustrate design's diversity in different fields. But it also enables me to indulge my curiosity by investigating the design response to major global events, which of course included COVID-19, the catalyst for my most ambitious and longest series of posts, Design in a Pandemic. And here is, here's the grid for some of them. Now, when the pandemic struck in early 2020, it was a terrifying time, if you remember, when no one, not even our most eminent doctors and scientists, knew what this killer coronavirus really was, where it had come from, or crucially, how to treat it. But during the confusion, design swiftly emerged as a rare good news story for the general media. And the media could celebrate examples of design ingenuity or planned ingenuity, like the development of urgently needed emergency ventilators and track and trace systems that offered glimmers of hope in an otherwise horrifying situation. I was convinced that COVID-19 could be a game changer for design by demonstrating its ability to tackle urgent problems thereby securing the public confidence and political supports it needs to be empowered to play a more ambitious role in our lives. So I searched for exemplary design responses to COVID-19 all over the world, planning to post about them for a week. But at the end of the week, there were so many other examples I wanted to write about that I continued the series for another week and another week and another. And when I talked about my plans with my friend Paola Antonelli, from the Museum of Modern Art in New York, she suggested that we should build on the research by working together. So in May 2022, we launched Design Emergency as an Instagram research platform initially investigating design's potential for positive change in the light of the pandemic, but then focusing on the future. And we asked our friend, the graphic designer Frith Kerr, to design a visual identity for the new platform, which she and her team at Studio Frith did brilliantly in an engaging, instantly recognizable identity, which was defined by this beautiful, very joyful shade of blue and a witty alarm symbol. And we began by running weekly Instagram live interviews, all 30 minutes long, 
with the designers who we felt were the global leaders of COVID-19 design relief. And we were spoilt for choice because designers, architects, engineers, coders, and their collaborators were displaying such creativity, courage, resourcefulness, and dedication. So among the designers we interviewed were the medical illustrator responsible for this. This is an Indian uh, police force in the city of Chennai. And you will, of course, recognize the spiky blob that symbolizes COVID-19 all over the world. Alyssa was one of the medical illustrators at the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, who designed the official US medical illustration, which of course went viral worldwide. It is incontestably the most famous medical illustration in history, and of course, one of the most famous symbols of our time. We also um, talked to two amazing Pakistani doctors. There's one of them, second from left on the screen, Sara Saeed Quran, who with her friend and fellow doctor, Ifad Safar, Agar expanded their telemedicine network, Sehat Kahani, which means story of health in Urdu, to treat COVID-19 by launching an app so they could continue to function during lockdown. They have since treated over 7 million people, and that's in Pakistan, a country of 200 million people, less than half of whom have regular access to doctors. But after 10 weeks of focusing on these COVID-19 design successes, Paula and I decided to go for the long game and to change the focus of our research to design's potential to help us to build a better future. And we began by making a list of the major challenges we face, and it was a pretty depressing one. The housing and refugee crises, failing social systems, the collapse of social justice, the intensely complex and intersectional problems caused by the climate emergency, the rise of technophobia and abuses of technology, systemic racism and multiple other forms of inequality, intolerance and injustice, the increasingly complex and contentious politics of genders, and many more. Now, none of these problems were new. We all knew that our world wasn't fit for purpose before the pandemic, but the anguish, the human anguish, the economic and ecological turmoil caused by the pandemic really intensified and accelerated all those challenges. So Paula and I then identified the designers, some professional, others not, who we believed are at the forefront of innovation in all these fields that we wanted to investigate, Critically, they'd all designed and delivered actual projects in real life, as opposed to working conceptually, which, fascinating and useful though it is, would have made it less convincing to a non-design audience. So having identified the people we wanted to interview, we strove to ensure that our selection was as diverse and inclusive as possible in terms of heritage, geography, age, and gender identity. And luckily, probably because they had a lot of time on their hands during lockdown, almost all of them said yes to being interviewed. And among them are Peter Barber, the British architect who's devoted his entire working life over 30 years to designing decent, affordable housing for people who desperately need it, working on tiny budgets and scrappy urban sites like this halfway house in Kentish Town in North London, which helps people who've been homeless for lengthy periods to adjust to having homes again. Or Mohammed Fayez, an Indian Muslim illustrator and activist in New York who depicts the lives of trans and queer people of color like themselves while combating stereotypes by revealing their eccentricities, their wit, their style, their joy, and their fragility. And the brilliant Marina Tabasum, 
the Bangladeshi architect who has developed ingenious housing solutions for the Rohingya refugees in the world's largest refugee camp in Cox's Bazaar, as well as mobile homes like these for climate victims whose old homes were routinely destroyed every year by flooding in ferocious monsoon seasons. Closer to home is Hilary Cotton, a regular speaker at the RSA, the British social scientist turned pioneering social designer who's determined to redesign our social systems and make them fit for purpose, and has really pioneered the use of design in doing so. And Eyal Weisman, the Israeli-born architect who, by founding Forensic Architecture at Goldsmiths University here in London, as a multidisciplinary research agency that uses open source intelligence, as well as design and architectural tools, is establishing the truth behind human rights abuses, man-made disasters and climate crimes, and has invented an entirely new role, a new form of design and architecture as a tool of restorative justice. And of course, there are many more. Rather than rattle off a long list of names, I'm going to talk in detail about just two of the projects that we investigated and what we learned from them. And one concerns a design project that has fascinated me for a very long time, and it's this, the Great Green Wall of Africa. It's an example of the strategic use of design to realize an exceptionally ambitious project in 21 countries in one of the hottest, driest, poorest, and most fragile parts of the world by planting and cultivating a 5,000 mile strip of vegetation from Senegal here on Africa's west coast to Djibouti on the east coast. It's also an example of design's ability to address incredibly complex intersectional challenge in which a problem of one type, the drought caused by the climate emergency, not only causes other environmental threats, deforestation, desertification, and soil erosion, but also socio-economic problems of famine, poverty, mass migration, terrorism, and war. Now, like many of the new genre of epic design endeavors, the Great Green Wall is a long-running, highly complex, and often controversial project. It's African-led by the African Union, supported by the World Bank, the United Nations, and national governments. It was launched in 2007, quite a long time ago, and each of the 21 countries that participate are free to restore their land as they wish, and its progress has been very erratic. Senegal, for example, has fared well with tree planting, as have Niger and Burkina Faso in reviving ancient agricultural and irrigation techniques, whereas work has come to a crushing halt in what was once one of the early successes, Ethiopia, when civil war erupted there, flinging the country into chaos. And by early 2021, only 20% of the project had been completed. But by the end of that year, a consortium of donors led by the World Bank and the French government had raised over 19 billion US dollars for the Great Green Wall, giving it a fighting chance of achieving completion and its goal of creating 10 million new green jobs by 2030. And as Alex Arson, the Great Green Wall's head of advocacy, who I interviewed about it, said, it's a wall that brings people together rather than tearing them apart. And another priority for us was, of course, to investigate design's role in the refugee crisis by interviewing someone who had both strategic knowledge of it and practical experience in the field. And eventually I found them for a friend who was working for the United Nations in Iraq, 
She asked the UNHCR team there for suggestions and they unanimously recommended Francesca Coloni. Now Francesca started out by studying civil engineering in Italy but then decided she wanted to work with the issues that she passionately cared about, including the refugee crisis. So she had spent 20 years designing refugee camps all over the world, including this one, the gigantic Zatari camp in Jordan, now the fourth biggest city in the country. But for the past two years, she's been based in Geneva with the brilliant job title as Chief of Technical Support for UNHCR's Resilience and Solutions Division. Now, Francesca oversees design of all the UNHCR's refugee camps, and she was fascinating in describing the practical challenges that she and her colleagues face. One is reconciling their determination to be as economically sustainable as possible with the urgent need to find shelter for, say, the more than 2,000 refugees who'd arrive every night when she was working at this camp at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis. Another is the elemental compromise whereby the UNHCR has been trying to phase out refugee camps since 2014. That's eight years knowing that they don't work, that they're not fit for purpose. And it would prefer to be implementing and running more flexible and sustainable solutions, only to be stymied yet again by the massing, massive need for shelter. The third is balancing the support the need to provide urgent support for new arrivals with the knowledge that many people will spend multiple years in refugee camps, typically between five and 12 years, experiencing the birth of children and the death of elders, and the knowledge that many refugee camps, like the Zatari, are way bigger than most towns and cities. Over a million people live in the Cox's Bazaar settlements, where Marina Tabison also works. Another challenge is making the most of the ingenuity and resourcefulness of the camp's residents, like the Syrian refugees who, according to Francesca, are so entrepreneurial that no sooner have they arrived in a camp than they set up mar markets to start trading there. So what country wouldn't be thrilled to have such people settling there and dynamizing their economies? Now, Paula and I also develop ways of exploring the implications of sudden emergencies like this one, the Beirut Blast, by scheduling what we called special editions of Design Emergency, by inviting relevant specialists to discuss contentious issues like this, systemic racism after the Black Lives Matter protests and the tragic and terrible West Coast wildfires, and of course, the Ukrainian design response to Russia's egregious war. When I was posting about this on my own Instagram feed in March, I came across an incredibly ambitious and resourceful Ukrainian architect, Slava Balbek. You could see him um, just beneath me in the middle of the screen of Balbek Bureau, as well as setting up a food and delivery hub that distributes 13,000 meals a day to people throughout Kyiv. Balbek Bureau has designed temporary refugee villages to house people returning to Ukraine after the war ends. It's actually starting construction on one of them near Kyiv. And so, of course, we swiftly interviewed him for Design Emergency, though my favourite example of the Ukrainian design response is this, or at least this is one example of it. Um, a group of guerrilla graphic designers launched an amazing campaign to vandalise road signs throughout Ukraine, obviously in the hope of confusing the um, Russian military invaders. And this sign is my favorite because the same word 
every road seems to be leading to it, and it is The Hague, the International Court of um, Criminal... Sorry, the International uh, Criminal Court is, of course, there, and so is the European Court of Human Rights. And Vladimir Putin should, of course, end up in both places, um, leaving to jail at the end of this horrible war. Now, Paola and I have been thrilled by the response to Design Emergency. So last month, we launched our book, Design Emergency, Building a Better Future, nothing like an optimistic title, with the aim of reaching a wider audience through it of new readers while providing a fresh perspective on the content for our Instagram followers in a user-friendly way, all in one place. Much as I love digital technology, I also adore books, and Frith and her team designed this one beautifully. Um, now, we combine 25 updated and expanded versions of the original interviews with an eclectic range of global design leaders of the future, working in different parts of the world and in different disciplines in four sections, technology, society, communication and ecology, with new essays written by us to put the challenges and opportunities facing design in a contemporary and historic context. And again, we've been delighted with the response to the book, and we hope that by demonstrating practical solutions to daunting intersectional challenges, it will make a convincing case for design to be taken seriously by many more people. And that also it will encourage more people to share power and my love of design and our belief in its ability to give us hope for the future by really helping us to build a better world. But another ambition is that it will help to persuade young people to consider working in design by showing the many multiple ways in which they can do so and the possibilities of using their design skills, knowledge, networks and resources to address multiple challenges from the climate emergency to gender politics and the refugee crisis. Now, the winners of the RSA Student Design Awards have of course got off to a brilliant start with their remarkable work for the rewards programme. And we very much hope that Design Emergency will also inspire you to continue and pursue design in the future, however you choose to define it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alice, and, and what an amazing presentation, and, and thank you for shining a spotlight on such remarkable work. Uh, I think all I managed during lockdown was to go on endless walks with my invisible dog, so <laughs> I'm in absolute awe of, of what you've achieved in bringing to life these remarkable global stories and individuals, and, and having worked with Hilary Cotton when I was at the Design Council and hearing her thinking and knowing the work that you did back then at the Design Museum in really expanding the boundaries of design and turning, I think, ripples into waves. I think that you have been incredible in field building and creating the scaffolding on which so much design practice today rests. So thank you, Alice. Inspirational as ever. And one thing, I, if nothing else, that I took from your presentation was this sense of entrepreneurialism and it's something that's at the heart of our thinking going forwards at the RSA and having been to favelas in Rio and elsewhere I can also testify to the fact that that ingenuity in everyone it, it comes out in so many remarkable ways 
and really how might we tap into that natural human capacity to want to make the world better wherever you are. Um, so it's just wonderful to see those examples from around the world. So, now, I am delighted to announce the 2022 award winners. The winners we're announcing tonight were selected through a rigorous judging process where every single piece of work that was entered was reviewed anonymously by a diverse panel of judges, brought together for their expertise around the brief topic. And having done this over multiple years in multiple briefs, I can tell you that it is a really lengthy and actually inspirational experience and, and heartbreaking sometimes because you can't pick everyone. But through this rigorous process, a shortlist of finalists is created and those finalists then get to meet the judges, to pitch their project and discuss their design process. And I hope you enjoyed that because I know the judges do and I know the sponsors do. Winners were then chosen after extensive jury deliberations. So they have really been put through their paces and earned the right to be here tonight. Before I announce the winners, I'd like to tell everyone about the awards we're handing out to the students. The Stepping Stone Awards, if you haven't seen it before, were designed by Robert, Robin Levine, Royal Designer for Industry and a longtime friend and supporter of the RSA. These awards were inaugurated in 2014. I was here that year to celebrate 90 years of the RSA Student Design Awards programme. And we continue that tradition tonight. Robin designed the award to commemorate the moment our winners take that big step and start their careers as designers for social impact. And this year, we're especially pleased that the awards are made from offcuts from a local sink manufacturer, a great example of material reuse in action. They are beautiful. So, the awards are ready. The moment has come. It is my great pleasure to announce the 2022 RSA Design Award winners. I'll read out a brief overview of each winning project and then let's applause. The winners will then come up and uh, take to stage and collect their award from Alice. Are we ready? <laughs> Great, well I'll begin. So, to begin, the Healthy Hearts Brief. This brief, in partnership with Philips, asked, how might we improve cardiovascular health and address health inequalities? And the winner is Emma Scott for Pep Heart. Pep Heart is a card, an accompanying app designed to give young people from low-income backgrounds the access, knowledge and skills to eat healthier for life. The jury applauded your professionalism, knowledge and passion. The panel specifically said they were impressed to see how iterative your process was. You learned something from the research and then you changed your approach, which, as we all know, can be a difficult thing to do. With your depth of thinking and ability to focus on both the micro and the macro elements, they had no doubt that you will continue to succeed in your future work. So let's hear it for Emma. Congratulations.
For the brief transformation station, in partnership with Network Rail, asking how might we leverage unrealised spaces in small transport hubs as catalysts for communities and places to thrive, the winners are Isabel Poland, Izzy Bickerstaff and Lucy Chu for Roots. Roots is a locally sourced ingredients delivery service located at Loughborough Station, a station I know well because I live there. It connects students and local residents through food and personal receipts. The judges praised your team's focus on community engagement and innovation while still considering viability and logistics. They felt your solution was the most systemic with a real focus on building a business model that was ethical and linked to local context. And so let's hear it for the winners. Hybrid Home is this year's SDA alumni brief, written by Leanne Dooley and in partnership with Waitrose. It asks, how might we improve the experience for the increasing number of people with hybrid working patterns that I mentioned at the start? And the winner is Set Bloody Standard and Camilla Owen, Jenna McKenzie and Thea Lincoln. Set Bloody Standard <laughs> is a campaign and resource pack for managers to commit to and enforce better working conditions for people who menstruate, hence the title. The panel highlighted the striking visual identity of the campaign. They felt it was a shining light on an important topic, often overlooked, that is not discussed enough and they could see this having an impact far beyond the workplace. And to accept the award on behalf of the team, who can't unfortunately be here, but may be online, so please also clap for our online, um, is Ashley Vinnell from Waitrose. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. Now all the sponsors will want their own prizes. <laughs> but I'm sure it will get to the team. We will make sure that happens. For our next award, Steel Appeal is in partnership with Zero Waste Scotland, Scottish Enterprise, DCOM North Sea, Construction Scotland Innovation Centre. Students were asked, how might we apply circular economy principles to increase and encourage the reuse of steel from decommissioned oil platforms? And the winner is Joshua Dale for Scottish Kelp. We're getting in there early with the applause. So, Scottish Kelp proposed the conversion of these decommissioned oil rigs into large-scale sustainable kelp farms and processing units, reusing the underwater structures as well as the jackets inland. The jury were impressed by the scale and ambition of the idea that had such a high level of material reuse. They felt that you demonstrated a wide range of research and praised the way you were able to communicate a complicated concept and bring key elements to life. So, thank you. We've got a double applause for that one. <laughs> okay, so our next brief is Collective Imagination, which was developed in partnership with the National Lottery Community Fund and our students, how might we build the capability and capacity of local communities to collectively imagine the future they desire? How tantalizing. 
And the two winners are Mara Ugarian and Roma, oh, sorry, <laughs> for the Roma Futurism Museum, apologies, uh, which is a digital interactive space that combines virtual reality, live theatre, and experimental installations to promote the intersectional collective vision of the future of the Romani people. The judges were moved by the passionate way you discussed the issues and challenges that inspired your project. They highlighted your impressive understanding of the complexities of intersectionality sectionality, and how digital space can be used as a site of memory and imagination. And the second winner um, of the pilot award is Rhiannon Bedou uh, for Our Community, Our Future. Our Community, Our Future is a flexible toolkit designed to help guide the development and delivery of community empowerment activities, allowing residents to shape their own surroundings. The judges were excited by your idea, which they felt was impressively grounded in both theory and practice. The judges believe your project is an excellent example of meaningful engagement and has great potential to make change in the future. So thank you. Press Play was developed by Lego Group and supported by the Lego Foundation and our students, how might we support all families, carers and communities to play and learn more creatively at home? And the winner is Sophie Haig for Look. Look is an app that supports deaf children to learn essential British Sign Language vocabulary through outdoor exploratory play. The panel was impressed by your detailed investigation into the issue and your awareness of the need to centre around the deaf community user-centred design in the development of the process. The judges felt this idea was not only viable, but much needed as an intervention they hope you will take forwards. So thank you. <laughs> Without Waste is supported by GSK. The brief asks students, how might we use circular economy principles to rethink the storage, delivery and dispensing of tablet medication? And the winners are Amy Phillips, Ella Harvey and Rebecca Paradis for Alivate. Alivate targets hay sufferers, one of which is me tonight. <laughs> Proposing personalised antihistamine and immunotherapy, microneedle patches, that sounds exciting, that eradicate the need for daily pills and conventional blister packs. The judges noted that your team didn't simply redesign packaging for the pill, but took an innovative approach by redesigning the way medicine is offered as a whole. The panel was impressed by your level of ambition and the high level of system thinking demonstrated. Thank you. Our penultimate um, award is Active Journeys, which is in partnership with HS2. Students were asked how might we make multimodal travel, i.e. a combination of walking, wheeling, cycling and sustainable rail networks, so active travel, um, accessible and inclusive to improve the experience for all. And the winners are Shay Antoine, Safa Akira, and Zara Mundeviwala for PATH, Travel Aid for the Visually Impaired. PATH 
early. <laughs> PATH combines a thermal imaging camera and haptic pad phone attachment with an app to enhance the experience of bus, bus travel for the visually impaired. The jury praised your professional and inclusive presentation that showed you understood your project deeply. They emphasised the high level of community engagement, thoughtful research and the originality of your design. Congratulations. <laughs> Our final from this year's competition, Moving Pictures, is a collaboration with the RSA events and with support from the Marketing Trust, Natural Care and CIM. We asked students to conceive and produce an animation that would clarify, energise and illuminate the content of an audio, audio excerpt from a recent RSA public event. And for this we have two winners. Alice Siniscaldi and Erica Giuffreda for Beyond Divisions. Beyond Divisions used textural collage elements and audio from US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy to explore the differences between virtual world and real life and highlight the importance of building meaningful relationships. The judges were impressed by your animation and collage format, which showed innovative thinking. They enjoyed hearing how you both collaborated as a team to produce the final piece and what each of you brought to the table. Our second winner is Olivia Hesseltine for Ambitious Cities. Ambitious Cities is a delicately illustrated animation using audio from donut economist Kate Raworth about how we can assist our cities in levelling up to nature's generosity. The judges were impressed by the thoughtful engagement with the topic and fed, that fed into your design decisions. They felt your beautiful illustrations were complemented by your connection to the topic. We would also doubly congratulate Olivia tonight, as in addition to being selected as a winner by the panel, she also won the RSA Staff Choice Award, which was chosen by a majority vote of the RSA staff from all of the shortlisted animation. So let's hear it for Olivia. How amazing. All the winning and shortlisted animations are available to view on the SDA playlist on the RSA YouTube channel. I think the, what is it, the world's most viewed non-profit YouTube channel, should you be interested. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our awards tonight. A huge congratulations to all the 2022 winners and a big thank you again to all the sponsors, judges, educators and supporters, the RSA Design Awards. Thank you. And to all the students out there who also participated this year and who are using their design skills in positive, impactful ways in designing our futures. Now, you've only had a small snapshot of the winning work here tonight, but you can find more about the winning projects and finalists also on our website, and we were delighted to see Wallpaper Magazine feature some of these as well. You also get a chance, I think, and I hope, to chat to the people behind these solutions in person tonight. In a few minutes, we'll be heading down 
to the ben Benjamin Franklin Room and to continue our celebrations over a drink. So please join us there. And to everyone watching online, I hope you also raise a glass of whatever, wherever you are, to join us in thanking and celebrating this wonderful co cohort of world-changing designers. It has been an amazing evening to be here together. It is an honour and thank you for all coming and good night. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.